0: huskies warming house podcast is also brought to you by the SodaPod, home of mncaa college hockey news and more stay wild and up to date with new episodes throughout every week find them on apple podcasts youtube and other podcast platforms Welcome to the Huskies Warming House podcast, episode 168 here in the Den. Nick Maxson, Noah Grant, as always, ready to bring you another show. And we continue rocking and rolling with some previews. Our first stop on the men's side of things in the NCHC. And Nick Maxon gets to host that segment. Very excited to talk about the Miami Redhawks. And uh, Nick is very excited, uh, chomping at the bit, so to speak, to uh, uh, to get things rolling there. I'm very excited to see what he has in store for us. Uh, other than that, we just have a couple of quick Huskies tidbits here uh, in the main portion of the show actually kind of leads us into I I think next week maybe might be a really good plan for us to uh, really maybe just take a small little deep dive into the draft now before anybody panics and says, wait a minute, you just revamped the show. What do you mean the draft? Talking about the NCHC specifically, and to a lesser extent, college hockey, because the rise of college hockey has really been exciting when it comes to the NHL level, especially at that draft level and even like U.S. national development program type things that push into you, know, you, you Nick. I think you can kind of attest to this, guys. That we say, oh, yeah, he's the U.S. national development, but it's like, oh, he's going to Minnesota, always oh, going to Wisconsin, a la a Minnesota Wild draft pick la- uh, that played Wisconsin last year, right? Um, you know, uh, among other things. So, I, I, I don't know about you, Nick, but
1: I'm really excited about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's it's a very quick sort of what do you call it? It's it's one little straw out of the bundle, but it's one that's been getting more attention. And I think it's important to uh, at least recognize that college hockey is it used to be OK. It's, it's still a secondary right to the CHL and to the development leagues up north of the border. But over the past, what, five, 10 years? Uh, players that are prominent, and we're talking first round, top 10, top five, are choosing to develop more into college hockey. And so you're getting more, I would say, the higher end talent. And a part of that is it's a multi-level thing, obviously, but um, a lot of big names, a lot of fun reasons to watch college hockey. And that's sort of what we're going to be taking a look at yeah absolutely can't wait
0: to jump into that one as always and we move over to the huskies illustrated portion of things center ice view news and notes and the soda pod all having a hand as we move into the main portion of the show center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of saint cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com
1: Into the main portion of the sh- of the show, and no, your ears are not deceiving you. It's Nick Maxson hosting this week's episode here on 168 here from the warming house. Ten joining alongside Noah Grant as always. I'm stealing your line just for a moment. Uh, a couple of little tidbits here, Noah, before we get into our NCHC preview. Again, one of the probably our our most favorite time of the offseason is when we get to preview, break down each team um, as we are doing the WCHA as well this year. NCHA, this is our, I believe our third offseason doing yep. the uh, but some St. Cloud State news um, with some players uh, signing some contracts. Uh, we'll start with the women's side McKenna Westlow a uh, longtime stalwart there for the Huskies, headed to play professionally in Germany, and then also Jimmy Schultz, so, who had quite the run in the American Hockey League. Yeah, uh, part of the uh, the first ever season for the Coachella Valley Firebirds, literally one goal, one shot away from hoisting a Calder Cup, does sign an extension with the Seattle Kraken. Uh, so a couple of Huskies inking some deals here here uh, early July slash late ju- uh, late June.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, 84 points over 222 regular season games for him. Uh, played in all 26 games, like you mentioned, in the postseason. Nine points for him. Uh, all career highs this season, too. So, had a really good year and is continuing to develop. Uh, you know, the only thing that is, and this is no offense to anybody, for Jimmy especially, uh, that Kraken team is suddenly very, very good. Uh, a roster that continues to be more and more difficult to crack. Uh, and you you can see that because, you look at Coachella Valley and you could probably handpick four or five guys, him being one of them, that you could say, oh, yeah, they could easily make the jump to the NHL level. Uh, but you look at the roster in front of them, you know, it, that just kind of speaks to the testament of how well run that organization is, uh, Shane Wright notwithstanding, right? So um, <laughs> that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> do, we, do we do we want to revisit that again yeah. Um, <laughs> <don't have> <laughs> but yeah obviously we had jimmy on the show a couple of years ago and you no surprise that he continues to develop because i think as brett larson has testified to his development process too from seeing him in the nchc his ability to uh kind of bring that workmanship type attitude i mean like pure professionalism and the way he approaches that. I mean, that's exactly what you need at that level to continue to stick with the process continue to get better, make offseason better, each offseason better than the last. And I think for him, it's really exciting to see him uh, make that jump. And for McKenna Westlow, uh, kind of a journeyman career for her as far as the WCHA level with a little bit of injury and some lineup pieces early on in her career. She becomes a mainstay, a good locker room presence, someone who's easy to get along with, easy to kind of be that, that glue gal so to speak in the locker room and uh for her to head overseas and wear number 97 of all numbers there's a couple hockey players in the hockey world that apparently have uh, that number that have had good success Uh, hopefully she can follow suit what an exciting time to um to be able to head overseas and just play hockey uh in Europe for a change I kind of relish the opportunity Nick I, I I hear Europe is nice this time of year and would be even more fun if you're playing
1: hockey don't you think Probably. And, uh, you know, for a full list, too, I think we should mention this, too, of Huskies, both current and former, and where they're at, especially, uh, you can head over to centericeview.com. He actually does uh, a list of uh, former Huskies, and especially if they're playing, uh, first of all, North America, whether it's minor or pro. And then again, if they are overseas and, you know, essentially where the rats also has some, uh, current season stats up as well. So that's a nice little quick resource for those who are interested in following some of the Huskies have passed both on the, uh, on the men's and I'm not sure if he does the women's side. No, he does not just the men's side. Uh, but, uh, either way, no, is that, one's is, time. Is, that a, is that a challenge? I think it's a challenge, it might be like a challenge. A... but, uh, <laughs> well, this is actually a perfect segue because the challenge has been for our first NCHC team to essentially, transition to a little bit, you know, shall I say better pastures. And yes, we are talking about number eight, Miami. We do have them picked to finish last in the NCHC and Noah, let's just say this. If the lease wasn't short before. Yeah. I can't imagine it's even longer, if not shorter. Right. So uh, for the Miami Redhawks, again, a team that, uh, shall we say before last season, when I had the chance to sit down and talk to both Chris Bergeron and their former captain, and the name uh, of the gentleman is escaping my head, so I apologize in advance, but uh, they really felt like they were ready to turn a page. They really felt like some maybe some players, maybe some attitudes that were maybe being a damper, and I'm saying that lightly, had been, shall we say, exited stage left. So they were ready to essentially take back the locker room, be a more positive message, unfortunately didn't really transition to success on the ice. So overall, um, 8-24-4 on the season within the NCHC 3-18-3. So we got another tough outing. Uh, Chris Bergeron uh, entering his fifth season here at the helm. Uh, a lot of chatter, especially from the, uh, us here in the media about his job security. But uh, let's just say that at least... There has been no indications above him that his job is in jeopardy. But I would imagine uh, coming from Bowling Green, mind you, he had really good numbers with the Falcons coming over. In fact, he was supposed to be the savior per se, right? To turn over the Miami Redhawks and to essentially ascend back into competition for the NCHC so far, we haven't seen that.
0: Yeah, turnover. You mentioned that word. That's going to be the name of the game as we move into uh, the transfer portal. By the way, for them, I mean it's been a kind of uh, reload and retool on the fly. Which, not to say we haven't seen that from Miami, but I think it's kind of hit an extra level uh, as opposed to the previous years. And I think the the player that you're mentioning, uh, former captain, I believe, uh, Jack Clement. I think is yes. who you're who you're thinking of. So who had uh, five points in thirty six games last season. But yeah, you got to imagine that Chris Bergeron, among other things. I don't want to say he's on the hot seat, uh, but the kettle has certainly started to boil, I think is maybe where we'll uh, where we'll put that. Uh, Miami has been in a spot, unfortunately, where we've picked them to finish last in the NCHC for all three of our previews now uh, in season number three. And it really feels like, I don't want to say like a prove-it-to-me contract, but it just really feels like this team... Just we're waiting for them to just at least just take a step, at least just kind of push into that fifth or sixth place spot. Again, we did our Bemidji preview on the women's side last week, and we talked about how St. Cloud on the women's side a couple of years ago was that exact same team. We, you were just waiting for that next piece to kind of be unlocked for Miami. It just hasn't happened. And it hasn't happened in a couple of facets. Number one, it hasn't happened with core groups that they've retained. And it hasn't happened with guys either coming in from the transfer portal or even worse, guys not deciding to stay and choosing to go the transfer portal route. And the couple of guys, uh, for example, Ludwig Pearson headed to North Dakota in the goaltending side. That hurts. That hurts this program that is already kind of Uh, You know, kind of circling the wagons a little bit, not gaining any traction, then you lose guys who go, okay, now I've got my foot in the door in college hockey. Now I've had a good year or two in the NCHC. Why would I want to finish eighth anymore? And it becomes this perpetual cycle here. And Nick, I got to ask you. Is this something that you feel – it doesn't feel player-driven because obviously what player wants to lose and what coach wants to lose, but does it feel like maybe Chris Bergeron, when we talk about him, great guy, fantastic human being, very honest in his approach to the game, but does it feel like maybe – I don't want to say he doesn't have a grasp on the locker room, but just maybe isn't able to unlock what
1: they intended for him to unlock when he signed that big contract. A lot of – the power or shall we say a lot of the influence maybe is the better word at head coach has is in the messaging right and that's something that i've been critical on with chris bergeron too in the past three if not four um nchc media days uh the message has been identical that's been essentially you know we need to you know put the boots on we need to go to work we need to show up every day it sounds like to you and I, and maybe to a lot of other folks who are listening to this in college hockey, maybe quote unquote, the bare minimum, right? Yeah. Uh, but it just sounds like, you know, as a head coach, you have to be able to, I don't know if you want to call it tweak a message but and deliver it in a way where it's, you're, you're trying to get the message across, but also trying to inspire, right? And you kind of wonder where that is. You kind of wonder what, Chris Bergeron and, and what his approach is, because um, a good uh, shall we say, comparison to this is Chris Mayotte uh, with Colorado yeah. College and uh, some of my coverage with the uh, the frozen Faceoff and CC's rise to uh, a, essentially an NCHC championship game. Right. One of the things that Chris Mayotte said about Brian Ewan, right. One of their uh, five year uh, captains on defense was he could have transferred out he stuck with the process, and you know these are with tears flowing down these guys' faces. You know you talk about the relationship building, and you know it, trying to essentially push um, the team and each other to reach that common goal. And you know it sucks for them. You could really feel the emotion and that relationship on stage. And I just I don't get that same sense with Miami that that locker room is as tight. Now, no, granted, do we know that for sure? Absolutely not. But. He was on full display for Colorado College. I just haven't really seen something similar coming from that Miami locker room. Yeah. the face of the organization, right? So um, at the end of it, it is you, you kind of wonder what the next step is for Miami or what would, shall I say, employ a change if that's what's necessary. Because, uh, no, I want to throw, uh, throw this back to you because yeah. you yourself have been on a college hockey team. You've been in locker rooms, right, where... Personnels. I mean, it changed every year. Mm-hmm. That's the that oh, nature yeah. of college hockey. But from a player's perspective, right, we could say it's the coach or your teammates. I would argue it's, it's got to be both. It's got to be a harmonic sense, right? Yeah, it certainly
0: does. And again, I, I know we've kind of alluded to this, but, you know, my freshman year in college, of course, we, we, went, we went a championship back-to-back years. But my freshman year was a group that was far less skilled than the second year that we went on a run But it was a group that was a lot more fun to play hockey with. It felt like kind of this almost Cinderella story, so to speak, if you want to be cheesy about it. Sophomore year, you bring in some guys that are really good, uh, but it kind of feels a little more professional. It feels a little more black and white, cut and dry. This is how we're doing things kind of thing. Um, And both groups found their motivation. In fact, our sophomore year, the motivation was we weren't too thrilled with the head coach. And the motivation was you rallied around that and you kind of became a little bit closer knit because of that. I don't want to say it wasn't hatred or anything, but kind of that disdain sometimes for certain things that you were doing. But that group was much different. It just it it didn't feel like it had that magic that the previous year did. It was still a great year of hockey, quite obviously. But each year changes, like you mentioned. Um, I think the words that we're looking for when you mentioned, especially Chris Mayod in Colorado college buy-in, right? We just don't see that right now for Miami, but it's weird. And I know we're getting to the schedule from last season, but it's interesting. You start the year uh, with a tie and a victory against Ferris. You beat UMass Lowell in a split. You sweep Canisius. Okay. So actually a pretty okay start, you know, to the year I, You lose in a shootout to CC, you beat North Dakota in North Dakota despite posting 14 shots on net. You beat St. Cloud, who at that point was a top three
1: team in the country, five nothing. And then you followed up, you know, sent Huskies fans pretty much, yeah, of you know, HE double hockey sticks for lack of a better phrase.
0: Yeah, and then you come back from the holiday break beating Niagara, and then to throw Huskies fans into a scare again after going on a what would this be, seven, eight game losing streak. You have two pairs of shootout losses against St. Cloud in St. Cloud's building, and then you finish the month of February with a four to one victory against Duluth, who really needed those points to climb in the NCHC. This team has these random pockets where it's like, where did that come from? And I right. don't, and I don't know if it's a where did that come from or how do you get that to stay? I think is the better question is this team has, I I feel like a couple of years ago, this team was more a team that it felt like, boy, they just like, they can't buy a hockey game. They can't this year. You get this team on a power play. You gave them a chance to string a couple of goals together. And suddenly they were actually able to control portions of a hockey game. It's not like it was invisible. Granted, they had really great goaltending that it's going to be really hard to replace this upcoming season. But mm-hmm. what is it about this team? Nick? I'm not really sure that like, are these just blips on the radar or is there something to be said here? If, if they can keep the rest of this uh, new incoming core together and replicate that, can they build on this? Can they have more of this where it's not like, Oh my gosh, they beat North Dakota, but they were outshot. shot. It was, Oh, they beat North Dakota and
1: shots were 22, 23. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so, but in the sense of, you know, taking a bigger look, right? Cause yeah. you're, you're a, a stats nerd, right? Uh, <laughs> let's take a look at some of those team stats, right? Yeah. So uh, goals 73 that they scored for the entire season, they gave up 137. I'm not a math person, but that's not the, that's not the best margin. Uh, minus 64. If I'm doing that off the top of my head um, goals per game, averaging two gave up 3.8. That's not good. Um, So shooting percentage, whatever, right? Um, But here's the big one for me. So power play. You mentioned power play. 16%, 16%, so it's not terrible, but certainly not you know in the upper echelon of what we've seen for the NCHC. Now, here's the thing. Penalty kill, this is where it really hurt them a bit. Uh, their opponents were averaging 23.7% conversion against Miami. So that uh, penalty kill, uh, kind of an Achilles heel, right? Because there were times, like you mentioned, where Miami was keeping things close, and it, sometimes it was that mad advantage that they were against is where either a lead was stretched or a tie was broken, yeah. it seemed like you could just feel the energy and the shoulders slump um, on the Redhawks bench, right? So, you uh, know, a couple of things there. Now, Noah, when you when you think of some of those general characteristics, right? Now, mind you, these are very surface numbers, but offensively, defensively, not great. But I think, as you mentioned, we're going to get to, shall we say, a big name that's left is Ludwig Pierce, and a big reason why they were in these games, he's gone now. So these numbers unless somebody else steps up, likely to change. Yeah, well, I think the other stat that stands
0: out to me, too, uh, and maybe tells the story over the course of the season, 6-5-2 and two when scoring first. So we talked about even this team, Um, And when they carry a lead after the first and second period, obviously they're giving themselves a chance. But after the first period, they're four and three with a lead after one. Uh, When they're tied after one or two, they only won three games out of whatever this would be. I'm trying to do math in my head, like 17, 18 games total. Mm -hmm. They're just, even when they're hanging around in games, they're not able to close. And I think that that's maybe the next step here is you get that good goaltending. You get somebody who keeps you in a hockey game But you can't find that extra offensive punch. You didn't have a guy that you look and you said, oh, yeah, like, you know, they stay in this hockey game and that top line is suddenly just going to, you know, continue to roll and they're going to pop one at some point. Right. You didn't ever really get that feeling with Miami most of the time unless they got a man advantage. Then the power play had a chance to really work and maybe string a couple of goals together, you know, uh, potentially on a a major penalty kill. Right. Um, But, yeah, this this team, I don't really know what the answer is uh, for them, but I think – You have to start with the idea that you've kind of leaned on that Achilles heel, that crutch that was Ludwig Pearson. You have to find a way collectively to be better in front of the blue paint, inside the box, inside the house, in your own end. You have to work defense first. One of the themes that we're going to kind of go through for some of these teams, women's and men's, that are on the lower end of where we believe they're going to finish is they have to take care of their own end. You, you can't be on offense if you're not taking care of your own end. Miami, it's been no secret. They've been under duress quite a while in a lot of these hockey games. Goaltending notwithstanding, the structure has to be there. The structure can't falter. They have to start from the middle, push things to the perimeter. You'll take pucks from the outside all day. Goal te- goaltenders will take that as long as they're not being redirected or screened. They'll take that right now, Miami, just too many high danger chances in the middle of the ice. So when they're in a 2-2 hockey game, it doesn't feel like, oh, it's 2-2 and there's this push and pull and maybe they can grab the next one. It's 2-2 and they better hang on for dear life and hope they get one or two rushes this period and pop one because otherwise they're in trouble. So um, I'm not really sure what the answer is, Nick. I wonder how this roster roster turnover is going to look for them beyond Ludwig Pearson, but he is a massive void in net that doesn't get any easier when your defensive structure like Miami's has breaks down against some of these high-end teams, your Denver's, your St. Cloud's, your Omaha last year, Western Michigan, it starts to become a really difficult perpetual cycle that you struggle to get out of.
1: And uh, I think that's almost a perfect way to um, talk about some more players that have exited, right? Yeah. Uh, So Louvig Pearson, probably the number one, uh, player that has exited Miami. Again, we talked about how uh, freshman goaltender of the year for the NCHC last year. Um, so we're talking uh, 22, sorry, 21-22 his freshman year. Um, and I think I know that when we saw him, uh, the skill was on display game one right so that's tough and of course of all places he ends up is the university of north dakota right Um, and Noah, i'm hoping that you have the transfer list in front of you i do Um, some of the other names that miami is losing because right after that we'll be talking about some of the players coming into miami there's a like you said a lot of turmoil with the roster. but first the players that have left miami yeah
0: well you've got eight guys on the way out which is difficult i mean that's a that's a big jump. And a lot of them, I believe it's five of them, yes, are forwards too. So we talked about what limited offense was there. You have guys now leaving, which, you know, creates an opportunity as well to guys who can come in and maybe make a difference. The two that I look on this list that are going to be really difficult to replace in addition to Pearson, like you mentioned, uh, two of your biggest scorers, one a senior and one a sophomore. Joe Cassetti had 15 points last season and Red Savage, which is still an unreal hockey name, by the way, uh, had 14 points in 32 contests as a sophomore last year uh you're gonna miss both of those guys uh and uh red savage is headed to michigan state have not heard anything about joe cassetti yet he's a two-time transfer of course played at merrimack before that so you got to wonder if maybe a fifth year option is not out of the question for him but at the same time right now he's currently in the transfer portal and has been since march 18th so um I wonder if other teams have shied away from that because of uh, the lack of success that Miami has had on the offensive side as well. And, of course, he played heavy minutes because uh, he was a, a top-line guy for them. But, yeah, you're losing a bunch of guys that, uh, you know, uh, and a couple of defensemen, too. I mean, you're losing a, a deep pairing right, as well. So I, I think the difficulty for this team, again, we've talked about it, is – Uh, you have a couple of guys, Joe Cassetti and Red Savage, who have been there for a couple of seasons, if not more. You lose guys that, when you look at players that have had offensive success on a team like this that has limited offensive punch, and then you see them trying to move on to different places. Joe Cassetti, maybe a bit bit of a different story, but Red Savage, for sure, is going to be a junior next season. That's a difficult move for them. Now, to their credit, and I think we'll get there, too, Miami has done well to not only probably waiting on a freshman class because of COVID rules. I'm sure they're waiting on a couple of bodies to come in. And they've also brought five back in the transfer portal as well too, Nick. So I got to imagine that that is going to make a big difference for them down down the line in terms of them knowing that they still are, uh, and we've talked about this with Arizona State and their potential to join the NCHC, Miami is still a destination partially because of their previous pedigree, partially because of the NCHC players still want to play here. Transfers from ASU, ironically, uh, Long Island, Massachusetts, Niagara, and Wisconsin, respectively. couple of players that can play here. So we'll, we'll get to them uh, in due time, Nick. But is there anything that you see uh, in that transfer portal list too, or is it just kind of more the volume of losing eight players? Not only is that an on-ice factor, but as you alluded to, I mean, it's a complete shakeup in your locker room. There's no doubt about it.
1: It's and it's also doesn't help that it's some of your higher end talent, right? That want to win, that they want to, you know, compete. You know, again, the one thing that's going to eventually start hurting Miami, and I think it already has, is they haven't had great success, both in conference as well as non conference action, right? And when you do get to land these recruits, some of these higher end talent. And you're hoping to start to build something right now, I think as a coaching staff, as a fan base, right? You're like, okay, great. Whether it's a freshman, or it's a transfer edition, and you get this sort of, you know, little burst of new life, like, okay, this is where we're going to start to turn a page and become more competitive, And then you get a situation like last season where, again, only eight wins. And so these higher end talent look at their hockey careers, which is part of the equation. Right. And uh, they want to have a shot at a professional career. Um, And they say, you know what, this isn't where I'm developing. Um, You know, the, the mood in the locker room isn't probably fantastic when you have a record the way that you are. Um, I need to get out of this because this is not helping my aspirations. Right. And so then these high priced players move on to quote unquote, greener pastures and you're left as a Miami squad. And, you know, in fairness, spinning your tires. And I think that's, what's been really tough for Miami. Just no like real anchor, right. Just no real players that have just, you know, cemented themselves and said, you know, we're going to work our way through this. We're going to be here through it all. They just haven't had that yet. Now, granted lack of success, Has a big part to do with that. So, how do you fix that, right? Noah, is that is, well, you make roster changes, right? You you can't control the players that are leaving, but you certainly have a say of the players coming in. Um, Let's start there because, uh, as far as we know, only three freshmen on Miami's roster, at least that I can see, one is a Minnesota native that I got a chance. Uh, to watch quite closely, Teddy back. He's actually a transfer yep. um, coming in from Arizona State. So I apologize. He's not one of the freshmen. Um, he's a freshman in my head, but I was thinking because he had his freshman season last yeah. year at Arizona State and uh, didn't really actually see a whole lot of action. Um, I only think he appeared in a couple of games. But first, freshman listed for Miami um, is uh, actually coming over from Cedar Rapids, from Riga Latvia. That's Bruno Bruveris. Uh, so six foot nothing. He's a goaltender. Um, they need. Somebody to come in.
0: (laughs) A goaltender, yeah. They
1: need that. Um, You know, uh, so that's at least a start, right? And then you have another freshman from Odessa, um, again, in the null at Tanya and Bazier, uh, coming from uh, Shaker Heights, Ohio, uh, as a native there. And then the other freshman, I see another Riga Latvia native. So, again, we're seeing a lot of, you know, shall we say, you know, sort of like St. Cloud, right? So sometimes if you're having trouble recruiting in-state and in the region, sometimes you go to, the, go to those European connections. Remember, um, old assistant coach for St. Cloud was oh, very keen on doing that. Um, I probably will butcher this name, so I apologize. Rehards um, coming over from Ray Lapi He was with Amarillo in the NHL. Uh, those are the three freshmen that I see, but also a plethora through the transfer portal. Noah, this is where I'll turn it over to you. Yeah. um, Also,
0: when you mentioned that European connection, uh, Ludwig Pearson is definitely not a North American name, so to speak. So uh, they've they've done it before. Um, There's there's no doubt about that. Uh, Yeah. Teddy Langerbach, like you mentioned, also 30 games for him, by the way, actually. uh, Seven points for three games. Yeah, 30 games for ASU, seven points in the season, so good for him. Uh, Spencer Cox, he'll be a junior next season on the back end. They're only defensemen they're bringing in. He's from Long Island, uh, or he played for Long Island, I should say. I don't know if he's from Long Island. Uh, 13 points in 34 contests for him. Ryan Sullivan uh, and Braden Morrison, respectively, both forwards will be a senior and a junior, respectfully. Not many points for them, a little more role guys from uh, UMass and Wisconsin, respectively, with two great programs. I mean, you know, if you're a role guy, At Wisconsin, well, maybe not last year, but uh, uh, Wisconsin and UMass, for the most part, I mean, those are teams that have that pedigree behind them. And then Alvin Nielsen is kind of the cream of the crop in terms of point production, at least here. Uh, Will be a fifth-year player, played in 40 contests last season for Niagara, had 24 points. So you wonder how that will translate uh, to the NCHC level. Uh, And you look at this uh, group, again, like we mentioned, four forwards and one defenseman. So I'm imagining one of those defensemen coming in or one of those freshmen coming in has to be a defenseman um, from the list that you just pulled from. Um, But more importantly, as we talked about previously, guys that are exiting, Joe Cassetti being one of them, right? 15 points in the season, actually tied for second in team points with PJ Fletcher, who will be a senior this season. And Matthew Barbellini, who had 25 this year, was kind of the go-to guy. He'll be a senior this season as well, too. Um, you look at those guys, uh, um, Max Dukovic as well, who had 15 points as well as a freshman, by the way, you continue to hang on to him and build something there. There is a core for this Miami team to build around the transfer guys have to assimilate. We've talked about this with St. Cloud and for Miami, it's not just one or two guys. It's five, right? Plus three incoming freshmen, potentially a fourth. You never know if they pull a guy in late, uh, that's a big challenge uh, for this Miami roster to try to gel early. And we always use that phrase a lot with teams, is with a lot of turnover, similar to Bemidji State on the women's side last week. Your key for them was for them to gel early with all of this turnover and all of these changes here. You have to feel like the personnel that Miami went out and got is not a bad get, considering all of the guys that they've lost, and they've still retained a couple of core guys that can put the puck in the net. There's no doubt about that. We don't want to be totally negative about the offense. There are guys who can produce here. The question is, how how well do you believe that these guys and these transfers are going to translate into the NCHC level in terms of their production?
1: That is the question, right? And I think for uh, the Redhawks too, again, and it's it's a lot of, Show I say, when we look at the transfer portal, it's a little bit from everywhere, right? Um, Air Force, right? Uh, UMass, Wisconsin, LIU, uh, just you know to give you a little bit of a breakdown. So you're getting different forms of hockey, right? Because uh, we know that different conferences play different styles, right? Um, so that's where the term we go back to buy-in, right? Whereas this Miami team has to get on the same page, and they have to get on the same page early. Now, As we discussed earlier, Noah, they had a pretty decent start last season, right? So, you know, and I think that's really the key for Miami is as we uh, before we look into the schedule, right? Because that's sort of uh, next on the playlist, though, is it's been tough. There's no question about it. And if you're a returning player, um, you know, actually, let me break this question down into two phases. Sure. Um, As a returning player, you have to be able to wipe the slate clean, right? Now, if you're a player that's transferring in or you're a freshman, uh, Noah, what is the most important thing mentally? Because I would imagine these players know what they're getting themselves into. And I I don't mean that disrespectfully, but you know, this team has struggled a bit. Um, But how do you approach a season where, you know, instead of, shall we say, continuing from the past and allowing that to creep in your head. How do you look at it as more of an opportunity uh, to essentially, you know, be the difference maker versus just perpetuating the norm? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, An individualistic trait from each of these
0: guys is going to turn into team success. And it's not often you say that in hockey. But what I mean by that is, If every single one of those guys, uh, first of all, put that past history behind you. Like you mentioned, don't grip the sticks too tight. It's going to be what it's going to be. When you come into a hockey game, and every guy does this, but to find a different level, I think is what Miami is looking for. Every guy has to be on their A game. It sounds obvious, but if every guy has that total buy-in of saying, Okay, I'm coming in as a transfer. I'm going to be a difference maker on this team. I want to be a top four guy. I want to be a top pairing guy. I want to be on the power play. I want to prove to the coaching staff that I can make a difference at this level. When you foster that kind of competition and make no mistake about it, when you lose eight guys in the transfer portal, you bring in five on the return side and you bring in three, maybe four freshmen as well. Including that goaltending spot that is now wide open, you better believe that there's competition at every position, at every possibility. I would say, besides maybe Matthew Barbellini and to a lesser extent, PJ Fletcher, maybe just because of his experience, uh, and maybe Hampus Ridefist as well on the back end, there isn't really many names here that you can say, yep, pencil them in. They're going to be in this spot come starting lineup. Every guy, if they bring that compete level, if they bring that extra gear, In terms of their individual efforts, they're going to push each other as a team. And then you start to get to that point where they've worked so hard individually to each be better at their own craft that now you look around at opening night, you've got a bunch of guys who have developed internally almost by pushing themselves farther and farther and then you start to see, guys, now we're all in the lineup together. Now we've kind of gone to war together before we've even started the regular season. Now we're willing to lay down for each other because I know that this guy next to me, he's an animal in the weight room. He's been there at 6 o'clock on a Saturday morning. He, he's been there after practice doing plyo, after, after training camp, whatever it may be. You see that effort. It pushes you to be better, which pushes the next guy to be better. And then you look around and realize you've got 25, 26, 27 guys that have all put in the effort and all put in the work. The results, like I said, they're going to be what they're going to be. You know, if if you struggle to find offense, if you struggle to find victories, that is what it is. There is no replacement. And you want to talk about one point where we give Huskies fans a hard time, but they are absolutely 110% right every time on this. There is no replacement for a 110% effort level. And I think if Miami starts with that process and decides to push each other As individuals to the max, then they're going to push their team farther in terms of what they bring in in their effort level as well, too. The skill, the development, the points, the victories, they'll come if they follow that process, but they have to be willing to stick with it, and they have to build that brotherhood like you mentioned. You have to have these transfers. You have to have these freshman guys feel comfortable with the leadership that's already there and the core that's already there and build for the future. I know hockey players, as you mentioned, individual, they want to make sure they're taking care of their careers. Guys who finish their four years at Miami, they want to transfer to Duluth for a fifth-year season. Congrats. Good to them. That I think they've earned that. But other guys, you want to get them to stick around for those four years. You want to go through war together, be in the trenches for those four seasons. I think it starts with that process of just – Going back to the fundamentals, and it's not even so much the on ice stuff. It's a little bit more the off ice and that effort level that they bring every day. I know it's a long winded answer, but I think
1: uh, you just you have to bring that compete level, and the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. And you hope that the coaching staff too can unlock right uh, yeah. you know, all the potential that's there. Because uh, Noah, just real quick, because you mentioned you know Joe Cassetti and Red Savage leaving. Beyond that, they're still returning Matthew Barbellini, who was their lead. Yeah. The- uh, score, right? Uh, PJ Fletcher, um, you know, just name a few. They're, they're returning a lot of their top end point scores. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, where, you know, and some of the other NCAA schools, St. Cloud included, where you're going to have this year, what, every three, four years, where all of a sudden your upperclassmen, that one group that is your primary point producers, all of a sudden they're gone, right? Whether it's to graduation, to bro contracts, or sadly to the transfer portal, Um, Miami is in a position where, like you mentioned, they have a core they can build around of. And, uh, you know, as long as they can complement each other, and again, just get it, I think just build confidence, right? Sometimes it's just about building confidence. Um, To do that, let's look at the opportunity they have on this schedule, Noah, because I think this is going to be, uh, kind of an interesting schedule to look at. Now, mind you, uh, Miami has never been huge into their non-conference schedule, like in terms of, you know, shall we say rivalry matches like we see with St. Cloud, but they're going to open the season, um, and this is kind of fun. Uh, how about this? At our old head coach's stomping grounds, a, a couple of uh, games at Ferris State to open things up on October 7th and 8th. They will then return home to play Canisius and then welcome Arizona State for back-to-back home weekends before they get to NCHC uh, scheduling. So six games to open things up. Yeah. Uh, already know of there the uh, the competition there. I mean, it's it's there for the taking. Uh, It's there to build confidence because at the end of the day, uh, we know how important the NCHC is. Six games here, six times to try to get assimilated and try to get your feet together as a team to get ready for the gauntlet that is the NCHC schedule.
0: Yeah, interesting first NCHC opponent as well, too. But uh, um, you want to talk about October 27th to 28th. You want to talk about a litmus test and approve me game or set of games here arizona state uh coming to town to visit the red hawks you got to believe there's a little bit of an extra bit to that i think uh, in multiple facets i think for asu obviously uh off ice things in their proposal notwithstanding they want to prove that they can compete at that level which they've shown it before but they want to prove it again and for miami here man you just want to build some traction against somebody who's let's be fair uh, both in media and on our show has been a talking point uh, related to Arizona State. You want to kind of silence the naysayers a little bit, and I think you know uh, we've talked about this before. Uh, you know we hope every team has success uh, to the point where the NCHC is well driven and, and and extremely competitive here. There's no doubt in my mind that at least someone from Miami will hear this show, and you better believe I you, you almost in in the in the same sense you hope it pisses them off a little bit. You hope it builds that fire. You hope you're like, Like we're not finishing eighth. We're done with this. We're, we're on to the next level. That's what you want. We talked about the same story last season with Colorado College where they finally started to get that buy-in, and it was like, okay, the Tigers had always been compared to the early 2000s Tigers, the heyday of the WCHA. They're never going to get back to that. They've got this weird little trimester-y schedule-y thing that makes it hard to recruit for them as well too. They're kind of getting over the hump now. It's Miami's turn to be that next team to finally pull themselves out of the basement and climb that ladder here. You got to believe that that last non-conference matchup, their fifth and sixth games of the season, maybe have an extra chip on their shoulder when you have a program that is, to be fair, relatively new in Arizona state that wants to come knocking on the door and join the party. I got to feel like that's going to be an interesting matchup, so to speak. And then of course, jumping into NCHC action, there's a team on this list that, continues to seem like they keep getting the first matchup for a lot of these NCHU teams. Any idea who it is, Nick?
1: I have an idea, but also to add a little twist to that, this will be the first ever matchup head-to-head between Miami and Arizona, too. I just double-checked that. I
0: I thought you were telling me that there were no rivalry games on this schedule. Uh,
1: Well, it (laughs) might turn out to be one. You never know, right? (laughs) Um, You you, you do wonder if just the timing of that, too, because, again, we're expected uh, essentially to hear more of that proposal um, over the next couple of months, or shall we say petitions, probably the better word. But more importantly, it could be ratified or approved by December. So you talk about late October. Oh, boy, that's going to be a talking point for sure. <laughs> yeah. um, but it will be St. Cloud, as you mentioned, uh, our Huskies that will open up NCHC play um, at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center for Miami. Uh, so again, you talk about going into the thick of it right away. And then it is uh, for the Red Hucks going back home against CC at U, uh, UND. And then a. Odd little non-conference thing here in the middle, uh, at the end of November, right after uh, holiday uh, break. uh, The holiday break. Uh, It's a home and home versus Mercyhurst. I had a chance to uh, not that long ago visit their barn, Uh, very old school barn, but very cool very intimate location they're up in erie pennsylvania right on the lake and then to finish off in CHC play it is the bulldogs again at miami to finish things off they do play another non-conference series uh t- just before the turn of the new year against niagara that will be in new york so a little bit of a speaking of travel woes for yeah, that'll miami, be fun that'll be kind of fun yeah. um but then again, it's this is where, you know, the 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 money makes it here at, at the at the casino. It's um at home versus western Michigan. And then it's two straight away contests Oof. with uh, CC and Duluth, and then you're home against North Dakota, and then against St. Cloud. You're only playing Denver once, and unfortunately for Miami, it is in Denver, and then it's at home versus Omaha, and then you finish off the season at Omaha the Lawson Lunatics with Western Michigan. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that, again, no matter which team we go through the NCAC, I mean, that schedule always looks daunting, right? But for Miami, right, we do emphasize that start right before the holiday. break. You know, if you can get some traction, if you can build some momentum, you can build some confidence, you just never know what can happen, right? Again, they had some marquee victories last year. The step this year, no, and I would imagine this is sort of where you're going with these comments is now, can you repeat that? Can you be more consistent in those efforts?
0: Yeah, and I think, again, with Arizona State, that would be a big statement to earn a split, for example, in that weekend and, you know, kind of feel like you get good traction. Yeah, the first half of this schedule is almost, I want to say, a little bit ripe for the taking for this team if they can find traction early here. St. Cloud CC north dakota but then you have essentially uh your mercyhurst weekend for the holiday weekend you play duluth and then you're actually into the holiday break before coming back like you mentioned against niagara there that's a good little stretch where you have a chance to kind of recoup re you know recalibrate so to speak and maybe earn some crucial nchc points and even the second half here they only play denver and omaha once like you mentioned near the tail end of the schedule but other than that i mean the gauntlet is there for everybody at the end of january early february you know it's no different for any team. If you get a buy in that stretch, uh you should be thankful in most cases until you're actually rolling and then like you don't want that buy, obviously. But yep. uh I, I think for Miami, you know, you come off the break, like you mentioned, Western, CC, Duluth, North Dakota, St. Cloud, Denver, Omaha, Western again. That's a tough second half to the schedule. So there's points that are right for the taking in the first half, and you hope by the time they get through the holiday break, they're finding a little bit of traction in terms of their compete level, uh, in terms to maybe earn some splits at least in some of these weekends here or give some teams fits, push things into the extra session. I think that would be the jump for them is to, you know, See if they can do that in terms of oh we lost to Denver we lost two one in overtime instead of you know for example a pair of seven nothing losses last season so uh, you'd like to change that trend this team has an opportunity to do it the schedule is not totally unfavorable especially in the first half like we mentioned Saint Cloud of course has them four times and it will be interesting to see how uh, the teams in red clash when they meet in NCHC
1: action so Noah uh, normally at this time uh, time of the show you ask me well how does Saint Cloud beat them or how does Miami beat St. Cloud, right? That's your bit. I'm going to keep that to you. I'm actually going to finish off uh, the final impressions with Miami with, I, I think, the bigger question that is, can they finally ascend? And if so, how do they do it? I know we talked about early momentum, but really, how can they on paper on the ice, how can they actually accomplish this? Well,
0: I think your leadership guys, your veteran guys have to find another gear. And I know that sounds wild because you look at, you know, like PJ Fletcher, for example, or Matthew Barbellini, and you go, what other gear can they find? They've got to find another one. You can't come into this season saying, yeah, I'm a top line guy. Yeah, I'm, you know, in this position. I'm obviously going to be a producer. I'm obviously going to be relied upon. You almost got to treat it in a weird, crude sense. Like if you're Matthew Barbellini, for example, that you're, almost like a freshman in terms of like, I'm coming into this, I'm trying to make this roster, I'm trying to be better than the guy next to me, so to speak. And we talked about that trickle-down effect. If Matthew Barbellini and P.J. Fletcher are two guys who are trying to out-compete each other at every practice, at every workout, at every whatever have you when it comes to this team, then it has the trickle-down effect for these guys that maybe had middling seasons last year. Then they start to find that extra gear. Then they start to produce five, six, seven more points, ten points this upcoming season. Then you have the transfers who come in. They're going to fit in, uh, hopefully, like locks in a key, or keys in a lock, I should say, uh, to different parts of this cog. And they're going to fit into different areas. They're not going to be fourth-line guys. They're not going to be third-pairing guys. They're going to be elevated in certain spots, depending on their effort level. Then you have a couple of freshmen that want to make a name for themselves and start to build that next core of Miami Redhawk hockey. I think it starts with the veteran guys. I think it starts with the example that they set in that locker room. We talked about Chris Bergeron's message. Is it sticking? Is it not? Is there buy-in? I'm not really sure. Honestly, who gives a shit? I think it, what it really comes down to is do the guys in those locker room, I don't know who the captain will be this season, but do the guys in that locker room look up to those veteran guys and do they see that example being set? Do they see those guys willing to go that extra mile, that extra effort? Whatever cliche you want to throw at it, it's got to happen because those guys, again, need to find that compete level. You compete a little bit harder. You play with skilled guys. The skill gets a little bit better. You start to make plays a little more fluidly. Power play starts to look a little bit better. A little more confidence in the PK. Able to establish zone time. Suddenly you look around oh my gosh, we just beat North Dakota on a Friday and it's 2-2 heading into the third on a Saturday. Suddenly the process starts to work. It starts with those veteran guys. Regardless of the coaching staff, there has to be buy-in and there has to be camaraderie from those leadership guys, those guys that have been there before. They've shown they can produce on a limited offensive potential squad. I think if they're able to do that, eighth place might not be their finishing place
1: in the NCHC. And then final question before we close out our preview of our last place team and the NCHC. And I think maybe we should frame this. We actually hope yeah. just like we, just like we did with Colorado college. We hope that we are wrong in this situation, right? Um, it's going to be a challenge, right? It's going to be a bit of a mountain to decline. Um, and we've asked this question before, but how much pressure is on this coaching staff? Cause mind you, Chris Bergeron entering his fifth season. So, it's all his recruits. It's all his moves, right? Um, His assistant coaches too, um, coming over, I believe his associate head coach also came over uh, from his staff from Bowling Green. So um, you could have sort of this, oh geez, you know, kind of a clean house. I mean, is that really possible if Miami doesn't at least show that there is improvement and whether it's through exit interviews, or I think especially on the standings, um, could we see a mammoth change in leadership if Miami this season does not produce better and this uh, in this conference? Yeah, I mean, you hope it
0: doesn't come to that, right? You,
1: you right. talked about that where
0: you hope that there's buy-in here. And again, I, I don't know when, when you've been there as long as Chris Bergeron has, I don't know if it's something that does get a little bit stale or not, or maybe just doesn't resonate as well. And when you're not winning hockey games, things just seem a little bit more bleak. There's no doubt about that. When you go on a losing stretch, regardless of any team, ask a Huskies fan when they, you know, don't gather many points in a row of five or 10 hockey games. It's it's not fun to do our, our little bit. I'll tell you that much. Um, but I, I, I am kind of inclined to believe, at least maybe on the head coaching side, that there wouldn't be some pressure to finally feel like things are going to flip over. Arizona State's going to have an impact on that as well, too, depending on what the NCHC does. That group might just, the timing might be right for a full flip over, regardless if they have another season where they struggle and Arizona State comes into the fold. I don't really know. But again, as we talked about, too, uh, in some senses, the players, we talked about that a ability. You have a chance to pick up Chris Bergeron in some senses as well, too. Do your job. Do what, you, do what you have to do. And I don't know how the administration looks on this program, too. It might look at that point where you say, these guys are giving 110%. We're playing our best hockey. We're just not getting bounces. We're just not getting victories, whatever it is. Or maybe the message is resonating, and they do trust the process with him. But you got to feel like at some point – When you're starting to lack success year after year after year after year, it just feels like maybe a change is on the horizon. The Red Hawks have a chance to stall that or even forego it completely if they have a really good season. I think it starts again with their veteran leadership and their ability to make things happen on the ice. And uh, that starts with the off-ice. It starts three months prior in training camp. It starts with assimilating those guys into the college campus. And then after that, uh, hopefully the Red Hawks do find some success. The NCHC would be much better for it. Now that CC has found a groove as of last season, if Miami could do it too, it's already a tough conference to earn victories. And having that eighth and final team rolling on all cylinders would make for some seriously exciting hockey.
1: And, uh, well, more heart attacks for Huskies fans. And <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in, in honestly, I mean, the Big Ten, this, the Big Ten, if, if we what we feel and this is a side note, but what the changes at Minnesota State, I'm sorry, Wisconsin, uh, <laughs> it's, it's basically wow. it's basically uh, the state 2.0. But uh, Wisconsin already on paper looks a hell of a lot better than what they did, right? And they were sort of like the one outlier, right? Imagine, and maybe this is something we should pay attention to, Noah, is how the Big Ten will look now that every team is essentially a gauntlet and a competitor in that conference. Not to say that Miami and Stacey aren't, right? But it's it's different, right? The skill level isn't hasn't been there. Again, The the, the wins, losses haven't been there. But if you want to see what a total conference of shall we say good team looks like yeah that might give us an idea it's exciting just that means that could uh, uh shall we say our fellow huskies uh fandom you know have some tough weekends or a tough <laughs> night um probably and we'll be you know here to try to you know pull people from the edge of the cliff but at the end of yeah. the day well um, the uh, the idea that going a shade
0: over 500 in the NCHC would denote a successful season, you know, kind of in terms of like, it's a true bloodbath, so to speak. And not that it already isn't, but I think we're getting to that point where, again, we've talked about St. Cloud, for example, and we're like, oh my gosh, they were only three wins over 500 this season, but you look and they're third in the NCHC because everybody's kicking the crap out of each other, you know? And I think that's what we're kind of looking for. It's hard as a player. It's hard, you know, game in and game out, you know, for every coaching staff. But at the same time, as a fan, we're all here for it. Absolutely.
1: And uh, as a player, it builds, you know, sort of that character and uh, shall we say that resiliency as you get to the pro level. It doesn't get any easier. It gets harder, right? Uh, No, I believe that concludes our preview for the number eight yeah. Red Hawks here in episode 168. Uh, do you want to take us through the preview? What's coming next week? Yeah, we have a preview coming
0: up uh next week, like we mentioned. Uh we're gonna talk a little bit more about the NCHC and see kind of how the draft unfolded for them as well as maybe some other NCAA tidbits as well, uh related to the draft. A lot of college hockey players that uh um were picked in really high selections uh, in the draft and really going to teams that really identified their value. So we're really excited to talk about that. And then we continue on with the women's previews here. Our second women's preview, team number seven, in terms of the finishing order, we'll move into next week. And Nick, I'm going to be a a good child from now on. I'm not revealing who we have coming up until the show has come out. So from here on out, our teams will be kept under wraps, under lock and key. So the women, of course, uh, coming out next week in the second or whatever it would be, start of the third week of July. And then we move on to number seven on the men's side as well too, and take a look at what we think in that conference, Nick, as always also the Husky warming house podcast is brought to you by the soda pod. Stay wild and up to date with all things in the state of hockey, as well as center. and Huskies illustrated. Like you mentioned a great home for all these tidbits for our aforementioned men's side of the draft next week. Uh, your home for all things, St. Cloud hockey, including the latest news and photos of your favorite Huskies. So Nick, fantastic job by the way i i I like it it's uh um, the template you followed was really awesome by the way. I wonder who put that together, but uh, um, oh, you got eight ball points good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna chalk that up as a plus on the scorecard. Um, <laughs> hey a, hey a plus is a plus. The, the, you, you don't look at a score sheet and you don't say, oh yeah, it was a plus because he was here and there. Hey, if I'm if I step on the ice for a line change,
1: I take two strides and my team puts the buck in the net. I'm chalking it up, man, I'm just saying. I will say this, I've been doing some Thursday night softball and uh, it's been more pluses than minuses. So I'll, t- I'll take it. So.
0: <laughs> you know, you know I'll, I'll put it to you this way, Nick. I benefited from the plus, but you were my teammate who put the puck in the net this week. Can we call it that? I'll give you that. How's that sound?
1: I mean, first time for everything, but. <laughs> <laughs> I had the footage that I would say otherwise, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you that one. How about that?
0: Okay, well, if you're so good at this, how would you like to close out the show? Good luck with that.
1: Sure. Uh, thank you again for tuning into episode number 168 here. Our first ever for this year's NCHC preview. Again, we are picking uh, the Miami Redhawks to finish eighth in the NCHC. And for next week, we'll be talking about our seventh pick for the WCHA. And the women's side, stay tuned for that. For Noah Grant, I'm Nick and We will see you soon in the den.
0: One-timer coming, they score!
1: Fires and she scores. Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kapristov in for a chance to win it. He scores. Kirill the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL. A game winner. St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.